Hello, welcome to Christmas Actually with Luke Allen and Lara Collier, the podcast that takes a look at the Richard Curtis film Love Actually, one day at a time. It's Thursday the 17th of December, actually. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Lara Collier. Hello! And with our two special guests this week, not intended at all, the two Jameses. Um, we're with, is it James Corcoran? I don't want to pronounce your name wrong. <laughs> James C. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Okay, there we go. James Corcoran and James Lyon. Hey, everyone. Who knows? Maybe you'll become good friends and form a comedy duo. Um <laughs> Probably not. Um, Let's just be real. (laughs) Uh, So are you both able to briefly introduce who you are, in whichever order you choose? (laughs) Well, I'll go first then. Um, Yeah, I do um, a podcast about the band Oasis. That's probably the biggest thing I do. It's called the Oasis Podcast. It's been going for coming up four years uh so yeah if wow. you're into the band oasis make sure you check that out um but yeah i've always been a big fan of movies by minute sort of style podcasting and uh, been wanting to get into that world and yeah so i'm currently putting together train spotting minute which is uh, which i'm very excited about and through my oasis connections i've got sort of um a few ins with some people that, that could get me some big names as well so obviously i'm you know We've got the example of yourself getting Richard Curtis, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, it would be nice to get. I, I do really like Movie by Minute, but I also like it when there's, you know, people that were involved in it as well. Yes. I think yeah. that adds an extra element to it that often just the general chat doesn't. So, um, so yeah. But, no, it should be good. Looking forward to it. Mm, what I found fun, and I think we only got to do it once because our other guests we ended up having on in episodes we released, like, part way. Like once we'd finished recording, so we didn't have any minutes left. But I did like when we had guests involved in the film on for minutes of the film. That's always quite interesting. Rather than sure. doing like a simple interview, to actually have them as a a guest talking about the minutes was was fun. Um, so yeah, and obviously this is a slightly shorter show, being day by day rather than minute by minute. But it's uh, it's still fun, and I don't know whether a film like this would work so well minute by minute. Um, I think this day by day breakdown may be best. What about you, James Lyon? All right. Um, currently, I'm just studying film. Uh, just kind of trying to work out what I want to do, really. Uh, so I think so I might start my own podcast uh, just to do about movies uh, with a co-host who may or may not join in. Uh, not really too sure. Uh, hoping to do some music for Spotify. That's uh, pretty much all my plans. Yeah, maybe do some indie movies. So that's yeah, that's pretty much all of it. Well, um, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and so you also said that uh, you have not seen Love Actually, which is yeah, a yes, great. Yes, I have not. Um, we've only had a couple of people on over the course of this show who haven't, so it's it's always great to get that perspective. And these minutes are definitely odd for <laughs> <laughs> what people's expectations of Love Actually is, and what a lot of the rest of the film is. Um, but what about you, James C? What was your experience with Love Actually? Yeah, so I'm a bit older than you guys. I'm 40, so I think when this came out, was it 2003, 2004? 2003. Um, 2003, so I would have been 23 when it came out. I did see it at the cinema. Um, I was a big Richard Curtis fan um, from Blackadder and uh, mm. all the other stuff. So, um, yeah, and then at the time as well, it was always a, it was a really good cast from, you know, from really big Hollywood names, plus also these up and coming guys that they were giving a chance to, like uh, like Martin Freeman, who'd just come off The Office, and like Chris Marshall, who'd come off the show My Family at the time that was really big. So, you know, it... Yeah, Fiona Worth does the casting for this, who also did the casting for About Time. Her... She's very good at casting people just before they become really famous. So, like in about time, they cast, she cast Margot Robbie in a supporting role, literally about six months before Wolf of Wall Street. Um, wow. So, yeah, like Fiona Wears casting is incredible, um, and even people like Kira Knightley, she was doing some stuff as like a teenager, but there wasn't. I think she was just about to start doing Pirates at the point of finishing Love Actually. Um, because Richard Curtis said on the commentary that he was telling her that it will never uh, be a success because it's a film about pirates and no one will want to see that. Um, so, yeah, how wrong he was. Um, <laughs> we open with a um, with the song All Alone on Christmas, played by Darlene Love. 
as Jamie is saying, my goodness, this is a very big fish. It tastes delicious in Portuguese. Um, which I realized that for, as, um, as has been an issue with a few of these, it's the only moment this sequence, which is why I didn't let you guys know, but in the proper version of Love Actually, it, that would be subtitled, but in for some reason in the export I do, the subtitles have vanished. Um, <laughs> but I thought since it was only a brief moment at the start, I wasn't going to ask you guys to track down a copy of the film to watch that one bit. Um, and then we, uh, we, we move over to Emma Thompson uh, as Karen, looking under the tree at all the presents, um, and she finds what she thinks is the necklace that Harry bought her. Um, what's really lovely about this is that that is Alan Rickman's handwriting uh, on the card, which was uh, a nice little extra touch from Richard Curtis to kind of make it seem a little more realistic. Um, so ov- obviously, James L., you don't know the story of, <laughs> of Harry and Karen, uh, but... Other James, what do you are you a fan of their their part of the story, their part of the film? It's an inter- it's a very interesting story, and it's not something you see much in mainstream cinema. No, in that there's a, obviously we're jumping around here, but um, you know what what happens? Spoilers for James L. Is that you know there's it's like he almost has an affair and he doesn't, and then and that's it, and so that's kind of the end of the story. It's it's actually a callback. So if it's a deliberate thing, but to brief encounter the famous kind of David Lean film where a woman almost has an affair but doesn't and then that's the end of the story. I think this scene is really important because without that sort of building up, so we know that she likes Joni Mitchell, we've seen him buy the necklace, we've seen her see that he's got the necklace and this is a really important point in the story that if we don't have this scene you don't get as much of an emotional payoff when she opens the the present later and sees it's the Joni Mitchell CD. Having this in there gives that extra like, oh, she's really looking forward to it and she thinks she's getting the necklace. So I think that's really key. Mm. Um, and then another thing, I, I don't know if it's a, a deliberate reference. You might have to call your mate Richard about this. Um, he signs it Bad Harry. Um, Bad Harry, There's a, I, I, I'm assuming it's based on, there's a story called My Naughty Little Sister and Bad Harry, which was written by Dorothy Edwards, illustrated by Shirley Hughes. Um, and that's like a, a very famous kind of old children's book from like, I think probably the 50s, I think. Um, and so as soon as I saw that bad Harry, I thought, ah, that might be a reference to to that kind of <laughs> that book, uh, maybe. But I don't know. It could be. It, it, it's that sort of thing which Richard does quite well with some of his films, wherein he, he has these little hints of what would be in jokes within a family that you don't find out the origin of it instantly makes you feel like these are people who've known each other for years and who have backstories in the same way of even in about time having his sister um Catherine uh, being called Kit Kat like I, that's not an instant even though obviously it comes from Catherine slightly that's not an instant nickname you'd think of which instantly suggests this is a family who have obviously been together for years and have got a history so it's there's there's great things like that where in just a little hint of something of that could be an in joke kind of plays there so yeah that, that that's a good that's a good spot um yeah i mean have we got anything else to say on this or should we just go straight to the, to the main part of this this episode which is colin's story uh no the only other thing i was going to say like you you rightly pointed out that's darlene love um darlene love is a um you know a fantastic singer a legend in the music industry worked with phil Spector a lot in the 1960s but then was primarily used as a backing singer um, and she's one of these people that's sort of um, just on so many records you wouldn't believe. Um, but yeah, and then but it was really nice for her to have this hit. Uh, I think this was on the Home Alone soundtrack, and then that sort of then had a bit of a resurgence for her career. But yeah, Darlene Love, an absolute legend. Weirdly, this song, probably contractual reasons, is not on the soundtrack for Love Actually. Um, that's interesting. Which because I, I assumed it was. It wasn't until I did the whole um, when I wanted to double check the the musician and the song that i had to do the the asking siri what song is playing rather than actually checking through the soundtrack because it wasn't there um should have asked me but yes yeah, so i, I could have done um so we then got uh we, we, we see colin and tony in the uh-huh. airport which was not filmed in an airport but in fact in a race course dressed up to look like an airport uh which is i think they did a very good job um <laughs> 
And uh, yes, yeah, so Colin and Tony's story, well, mostly Colin's story, Tony's kind of just there, is is a weird one. Um, so for context for James L, though, I'm sure you got that. He literally just decided he's going to go to America because American women love British guys. So he'll instantly get to sleep with as many girls as he likes. He's got a bag chock-a-block full of condoms, his words. Um and he's just going to travel to America and see as many girls as he can get with. So he chose the logic, logical place of America, famous for all the, the girls, Wisconsin. And uh, he's travelled over there. <laughs> Which apparently Richard Curtis picked a random place in America. But in American audiences, that gets a big laugh when he chooses Wisconsin. Because apparently they've got a bad reputation. Yeah, uh, they do. There we go. <laughs> so, um, obviously, you'd... Uh, mentioned james c that you were familiar with chris marshall from my family which is i love that show um it, 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 james l were you familiar at all with with chris marshall as an actor have you seen him in my uh, family death in paradise things like that can't say i have uh i'll just see if there's any movies i have seen him in. hold on chris marshall chris with a k by the way <laughs> can't say i have okay uh, that that is that's fair he, he, he I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he he never had a proper feature film career where I think Chris Marshall could have been great in a lot more feature films, especially as kind of a lot of those American, especially the sort of American sex comedies, they have the one British guy, which I think quite a lot recently, uh, a lot of stuff have picked up on people like um, Stephen Merchant, uh, obviously for the Irish guy, Chris O'Dowd is in a ton of movies like that. But Chris Marshall would have been, sort of perfect in a lot of those american comedies as the one british guy and he never quite had a a feature film career i don't think he kind of stuck with television with death in paradise he was rumored for a long time to be the doctor before jodie whittaker was cast um he would have been brilliant in that role but yeah he's a he's a great actor um what what do you think of it's an interesting oh sorry sorry go on no you carry on (laughs) No, I was going to say he's an interesting. He's definitely an interesting character actor, and this this role is really tricky because this. I mean, we'll get onto it, but this scene I don't think has aged particularly well at all. Um, the treatment of women throughout the movie is a bit problematic, and especially in this scene. Um, but Chris Marshall, kind of, especially like the, even the the first bit when he's walking through the airport, sort of saying about all the the, the sex he's going to get and stuff. Um, it would be so hard for that to just come off, come across as either if it was like a, a geekier guy, like um, uh, like the guy that played McLovin, um, you know, that would have just been uh, happy. Yeah. Or if it had been some like handsome guy, that would have been like awful and and uh, you know and and sort of arrogant and horrible. But Chris Marshall's just got that lovable charm that he's he's not the best looking, but he's not like weird. He's he's just sort of in that point where you think, no, fair play. Like I, I don't hate him for the way he's talking. Yeah, you want which is quite surprising. you weirdly through the entire film want him to succeed, which yeah. was a big surprise to me, really, especially <laughs> rewatching it for the show, because obviously it's completely outside of the sort of values that people who know me it's completely outside of my sort of values and ideas and i think i'd imagine outside of a lot of people's views and as you said the, the way i've looked at it is take his lines and put them in the mouth of sean william scott and it's just a completely different movie but yes yeah, so chris marshall does play it with a weird sort of lovable charm where because you're certain he's going to fail i think the comedy comes in the fact that he succeeds but it doesn't work as well on rewatch because you know he succeeds so that that the whole build up and payoff just doesn't quite work. But I weirdly found myself enjoying this sequence a lot more than I thought I would. Um, and we'll get more into that to see if we can figure out why, because I had no idea. I just watched it and I was like, that was actually quite a fun five minutes. Um, so Tony says to him, you'll come back a broken man. He says, yeah, back broken from too much sex. You're on the road to disaster. He says, no, I'm on Shag Highway heading west. Farewell failure, American, watch out. Here comes Colin Frissell and he's got a big knob. Well, he <laughs> kind of says it, he says it a bit more of a stretched out. Um, yeah, he says and it. He says, and he's got a big knob. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of deliberately being quieter because my entire yeah, family yeah. is in isolation yeah. and I didn't know like oh, yeah, what they'd hear. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, it's... Uh, so in doing this day by day, this was harder to cut up because it would be about 12 hours flight from London to Wisconsin. 
but this just seemed the easiest way to cut this up. Um, obviously, this film was never meant to be cut up day by day, so this is the best way of doing it. Um, so it's about 12 hours flight. And, I mean, have we got anything more to say about the airport before he has to be taken to a bar? He's happy when he gets out. Like, he's not been on a 12-hour flight. There you go. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my analysis. Yeah. It's like he's just ran through another set of doors, and that's it. There you go. But... And do we I know like if these the... American scenes were actually filmed in America. Or uh, I know that they were not. The UK? They were okay. They were filmed in oh. Sandown, just outside London. Okay, um, fair enough. And the airport was the Sandown Racecourse. Right. Got yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting um, because they are American actresses, obviously that we that we see um, later on um, with some very interesting character names that we'll get to. Uh, oh. With with how how they're credited is quite interesting. Um, so yeah, so he comes out. I, I I love that throughout the entire film, his, his naivety or we assume naivety of literally at no point questioning if he'll fail is just hmm. so funny. As well as like with with Tony, the fact that he actually still got Tony to like Tony still went to the airport with him because. Um, you know, if I, if I had a friend who this was their plan, I would not be anywhere near them at any point while they're talking about this. I'd be, I'd be yeah, out and away. I'd be like, yeah, you do you. Yeah, you kind of. I I I I think I find it funnier that no one in the airport is reacting. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it would have been the, overdone. Uh, reminds me of the uh, the extras in the original Spider-Man movies with how their reactions are just so. Uh, they're just artificial. It would have been a bit over cliched if the moment he shouted and he's got a big <laughs> knob, everyone went silent, turned and looked at him confused. Like it, I, I think that that has been done so many times in so many shows where people are shouting something like in a in a bar and then the music stops or something. And <laughs> so the well, fact that it's... no one reacts is funnier. It's it's oh. more that like I suppose you would you probably react a little bit, but it would be like okay, keep your head down. There's like obviously a, yeah, like a weird slight weird guy shouting down. across the across the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And remember, this was post nine eleven. This was like the the whole point oh. of the the, the yes. fact it's all airport based is post nine eleven. And yet, for a post nine eleven film that bases a lot in airports and seeing people's reactions in airports, like there's a lot of very lax security and lax attitudes in airports. Mm. It's it's quite weird because it's obviously quite 2003 is you know awfully close to 9/11, especially when you consider when he was writing it. Uh, there is a line at the start of the film about when the planes went down in the twin towers, which has always felt a little bit shoehorned in and out of place to me, as if they kind of felt this is a big film we've got to mention it. Um, but there was a while where I think we discussed this. I don't know what they kept in where no film or TV show wanted to mention it. So even in 2003, I guess it, it it's kind of difficult to have that acknowledgement, which I guess maybe you'd have to have at the start of the film because of how much airports feature. Here's yeah. my question. Yeah. Is yeah. there any real airports in this movie? Yes. Uh, yeah, the start the and end of the film. At the start right. and end of the film, there's a montage of people coming home from um, trips and like hugging and kissing and everything. And that was filmed in a real airport with real people where after he saw people, you know, who haven't seen each other in ages meeting up and hugging and kissing or whatever, like they would send a runner down and ask them to sign a form to agree whether their face could be in the film. So at the start and end of the love, actually, it's all real footage of airports. Um, so, yes. Please um so yeah he comes to he enters milwaukee um and he says take me to a bar the taxi driver says what kind of bar just any bar um just hang on mine average, average american bar that's what i thought it was i didn't want to scroll too far on my notes because if i like my notes are being weird on word at the moment where if i press the wrong key it suddenly seems to go straight to the bottom of the page and it takes forever to find these yeah i'm on I know page 58 of 87 of my notes yeah, uh, just any bar, just your average American bar, uh, and then he's at the bar, and this is the point where um, the song "Smooth" uh, by Santana, featuring Rob Thomas, starts to play in the background in the bar, which is nice. And the guy who's credited on the transcript—I uh, don't know the roles of people in bars—but uh, the guy who's credited on the transcript as Clock says, "Can I help you?" 
He says, yes, I'd like a Budweiser, please. King of beers. He says, Bud coming up. And that's the point where Stacy spots Colin across the bar with his British accent. And are you from England? And uh, yeah, it's um, so I, I do. I do love how it seems like such an empty kind of boring bar. <laughs> um, and apparently these American, all the British actors were really nice. And these American actresses came in and tore the script apart, complaining it wasn't funny enough and started adding their own lines. Oh. Um uh, I don't know how many of the lines in oh, it uh, were ad-libbed, but yeah, Richard found it very funny to talk about that in the script. Um, Stacy, who was credited as Stacy American Dream Girl, is played by um, I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Ivana Milicevic, who was in Just Like Heaven and Casino Royale. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, and he says, yes, and she says, oh, that's so cute. I'm Stacy, and she calls over Jeannie. Yeah. Genie, who's played credited as Genie American Angel, is played by January Jones, who was in X Men First Class and Mad Men. Oh yeah. Um, I think she was also in one of the American Pie films, The American Wedding. I think one of them was, and I <laughs> I didn't write it down because I was putting two credits for everyone. Um, and then um, hang on, I've got Carol Ann credited here, but Carol Ann doesn't appear for a moment. Right, that's my notes. Uh, all wrong. Um. Jeannie says, yeah, this is Colin. Frissel. Cute name. Jeannie. He's from England. Yep. Basildon. I I love how, like, because um, when we had Sarah on last episode, she did some some research on stats, because Colin talks about this in the last episode a little bit, on the percentage, I can't remember what the exact percentage was, but the percentage of American women who are attracted to British accents, and it is extremely high. Um, and so it, it is kind of funny how it's kind of, I'd assume, one of the sort of least sexy place names and least sexy surnames and all of that stuff. It's just the most kind of boring British thing that makes it all the more funny. Mm. Well, uh, I think Basildon's interesting because Basildon, if anyone, you know, if you if you know the southeast of England, it's like Basildon in Essex, and it's kind of a, you know, it's it, it is sort of a boring and averagey sort of Essexy place, but for American audiences, Basildon, it's sort of it's a very very English sounding name. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah, so it's yeah. sort of like Basildon Park, or you know, there was a this is a, a reference that you won't get, but um, Russ Abbott, the comedian who was big in the eighties, had a, a sort of a James Bond. Um, sort of parody character called Basildon Bond, and so um, yeah, it was. It is. It is a name that's come up over the years. But yeah, I've always thought of it as, for us, we think it's like a you know a, a sort of an averagey Essex town. But for an American, it would sound quite kind of oh, that's very English, Basildon, you know. <laughs> and, and yeah, and Frissle as a surname is just. I mean, it's, I assume it's a real surname, but it's quite a funny surname. Any no offense to anyone who's a Frissle listening. Um, I like it, but it's it's kind of I don't know. It it it's it's it kind of doesn't fit the rhythm of what is happening in the scene, which makes it funnier. I don't know yeah. quite how to explain it. <laughs> um, she says, "Oh," and Stacy says, "Oh, wait till Carol Ann gets here. She's crazy about English guys." Uh huh. Then Carol Ann appears. I need to scroll back up my notes because I credited Carol Ann too early on. Carol Ann, American goddess, is played by Elisha Cuthbert, who was in The Girl Next Door and 24. Uh, I've seen bits of 24, but I, I have seen The Girl Next Door, and it's a, it's a good movie. Either of you seen The Girl Next Door? Uh, no. I so. No, I haven't seen The Girl Next Door, but I did watch all of 24 when uh, Eliza Cuthbert's character was in it. Yeah, so she was uh, she was uh, Jack Bauer, Kiefer Sutherland's daughter throughout it. So she was ge- generally getting into scrapes and sort of getting into ridiculous situations with bombs and kidnapping plots and stuff like that. So, yeah. So when this came out, she was very much hot on that, um, on the back of yeah. 24. Uh, it's It's kind of interesting that... That this, that when you look at all four of the the women in this scene, you've got January Jones, who would then go on to become so much bigger, and you sort of think, wow, that's that's like January Jones from Mad Men, because in Mad Men she's absolutely huge, and then obviously she was in the X Men yeah. films, like you said. But this version of her is like, wow, that's such a sort of a strange role 
for someone who went on to do such this iconic role, mm. I mean, her, her role in Mad Men as the wife of the main character, Don Draper, she's just like, like this ice queen. So when you see her here being all like insipid and silly, it's just, it doesn't add up at all. Because then mm. obviously when she was doing Emma Frost, she was being very kind of icy and, and cold and sort of emotionless. So it's very strange. I, I didn't clock for years that it had been the same actress in, in uh, Mad Men as, as uh, was here. Um, whereas then you've got then you've got like Denise Richards and you've got um, the it was it, it, Ivana Milovovich, who's you know who had had sort of these modelling careers and 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 had sort of some movie roles, same as Liza Cuthbert, but then sort of that fell away quite a bit. So it's interesting from these four actresses that actually it's uh, uh, and Shannon Elizabeth is the other one as well. I was going to say who, yeah, we already see the fell away. The back of we see the, it at the very um, end, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. interesting that you wouldn't necessarily have picked that of those four. It would be January Jones that would go on to have the bigger kind of movie mm. career and and having that that iconic role on Mad Men. Well, Shannon Elizabeth was massive at this point, wasn't she? Like yeah, it, was, I mean? admittedly, it was like, admittedly, she was admittedly, it was before I was born. But American Pie, scary movie, Jay and Silent Bob was probably around this point. Yeah, but that, that's the thing. So this is so she'd had her kind of two or three years in the spotlight and then after this she didn't really do, go on to do much more whereas january jones went on to be like you know the the second lead in the biggest tv show in america for like 10 years oh yeah uh, what, 2015 to 2019 i think it was so yeah or something like that but mm. yeah, anyway yeah it's 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 good carol uh comes in and says hey girls carol come meet colin he's from england and Caroline says, well, step aside, ladies. This one's on me. Hey, gorgeous. And Colin kind of purrs. Um, and when we cut in transition, what I find brilliant is their laughing hides the transition between the song, between the music. So we then move on to the callings wherever you will go. But it's because they're laughing, you don't notice that the song's changed. I noticed, but all right. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm a music student, though, so... <laughs> Oh, music! Yeah, I, it, music game. <laughs> I it was it was just I, I thought it was quite cleverly done because to tr- I've I've a few times to try and create a link between two tracks in a film without it being so obviously, you know, almost like an album of this song's over and then on to the next one. It was a, it was a good way to in the scene change, especially with it being diegetic music. You can get away with it a little more, um, and we do. You see, I can I can do my my, my film studies slide. We do slide yeah. from diegetic to non diegetic at the end of the sequence, which is quite lovely. Um, so she says, "That's so funny. What do you call that?" He says, "A uh, bottle." My oris one bottle. Uh, I really <laughs> wish we'd had one of the Americans on for this this episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would have been no. It's um, only because we say everything correctly. I'm sorry, but I'm so picky with that accent. <laughs> What what I I find quite funny about this sequence is the fact that they kind of pronounce everything pretty much the same. The pronunciation of bottle and straw is pretty much the same in America anyway. That that I think when when we when you do get to table and they're like, ah, just it's it's just yeah. I like I don't know how to explain it, but I I like it. It's clever. It's kind of like when, like, and it's funny. You get like an American friend, and then like you say anything, and they just find it really funny. I remember I had a friend from like Chicago, Illinois, I think, uh, Diego, and he found everything I said to be hilarious. And then he also <laughs> took us out of me with fish and chips. And one day I actually had fish and chips. <laughs> what What I love about doing these MXM shows, because most of the shows that I guest on or people we have on are American is I can say a lot of different things, and they'll, if it doesn't make sense, they'll just assume it's a British figure of speech. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, so, uh, bottle? Bottle? What about this? Uh, straw? Straw? What about this? Table? Table. The same. Oh, it's the same. And then they ask him, where are you staying? So, I mean, at this point, um, James, uh, L, yes. w- did you think Colin was going to succeed in... <laughs> getting with all these yeah, girls in America. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like it would just because like it was a bit there's a bit of corniness kind of being built up with how they introduced each of the characters, with how they entered into the space of uh Colin, I think his name is. Um so yeah, I kinda yeah, saw that coming really. But also with was, the was there any thought that he 
Okay, so was there any thought that he'd wake up and it was a dream or anything yes. like that? Yes, yes, I did think yeah. he'd wake up suddenly and it'll be a dream or something, just because of how easy it's going for him. Yeah, and this this story is so kind of out of place within the rest of the film that it's quite funny in that way, especially a film which is love, actually, to be yeah. just focused on sex in this kind of five minute sequence is is is, is interesting. I mean, um. So to James C. and Lara, both of you having seen the film in its entirety, where do you think this story stands and flows within the context of the rest of the film? Go on, Lara. Uh, no, why make me go first? That's evil. Um, I don't really know, to be honest. I really don't know. <laughs> well, like, the one thing I was going to say, I mean, as the, as the only woman here, like, what do you think of the portrayal of these women? about this sudden you know this, this sort of it, it feels very much to me like this is like a, a geeky english guy complete wish fulfillment that he's going to jump into a, a, an airplane and suddenly arrive I, I imagine richard curtis his wife saying oh what are you writing oh i'm writing a scene about a skinny white english guy who goes off to america and is suddenly set upon by four unbelievably attractive american women that's nice dear Would towards like the end of this you know episode I, mean? I did I did. I did um, consult Emma, his girlfriend, about this towards the end of the season, and we'll talk about that <laughs> towards the end about what she thinks of this. Um, okay, oh, but what do you think, Laura, about this uh, about the portrayal of women in the scene? Um, I th- well, I don't know because like, obviously, because I'm like British and stuff, I have to try and think of it from like an American sort of perspective because like, obviously a lot of American women do find British guys very, very attractive whether they're attractive to us or not so i mean like it's plausible but at the same time it's not i feel like the way that the girls are like portrayed it's like it's funny but like it's bullshit but not i don't know how to explain it i'm honestly i'm half awake (laughs) i think i think that's the perfect way of explaining it really yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um I, I like it, but I do I do like the fact that you're constantly thinking he's going to wake up or there's going to be, yeah. you know, they're serial killers or something. <laughs> That'd be a bit out of place, <laughs> no, admittedly. No, I, but... did think, I did think Ben inviting him over was a bit, yeah, suspicious, kind of just... Especially with how the exchange turns in a minute. It's kind of like, yeah. oh, this is so blatant. It's, it's so like, it's yeah, so it, over the top and forced. It, it kind that... of makes me think of Get Out. I've still yet to watch that, but it does make me think of Get Out in a way like they're just kind of luring him in yeah i mean kind of similar in a way to um taken where the the daughter meets these two guys in france who are having a party or whatever and invite them over and then kidnap her (laughs) but yeah so you, you whilst it would be out of place in a richard curtis film for that sort of payoff a payoff like this is also out of place in a Richard Curtis film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange. You you kind of get the you know it, it's a joke and it plays like a joke. So you know the fact that that it just keeps going and going and going. You know all the, and we haven't got to that point yet. But the whole like and we haven't even got pajamas and we've only got one bed and we've got like the fact it keeps going. It's like okay, this is almost surreal. So you don't. It's not that he's suddenly able to like wander into a bar and he's got all these cool moves and and you. It's not played seriously. It's played as a joke that these these you know beautiful women are throwing them throwing themselves over this sort of very average looking English guy. So I get and Curtis it's a joke. can do surreal humor. It's just it's it's I it it shouldn't fit as well in the film as I think it does. Yeah, there is well, no reason a... for it to work as well as it does. It's a nice bit of comic relief. I mean, going back to what you're saying about the placement in the film, you know, there's some pretty yes. heavy stuff at various points, like the stuff with Laura Lynn. I think next and... episode is um, is the big Joni Mitchell payoff. So literally like five minutes from now. Yeah, yeah it is. So... It is because I, I carried on watching the movie and realised, oh, wait, I've got the podcast to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't find the movie. So it is. It is interesting that we, you know, you you have these little moments of of um, you know just pure comedy, uh, along with sort of the darker things. And that's it's it's a it's a a movie that's tone sort of does vary wildly. And this is one of the more kind of over the top, uh, over the top sort of pure out comedy moments. Um. So so yeah, I I, I was okay with it. I mean, I think at the time it was more 
um, it wasn't probably as big a deal. Now looking back, I think you could write, a, especially like a feminist meet post Me Too kind of angle of like the way that the women are portrayed is awful and like dreadful, mm-hmm. and, you know. Um, but as I say, I think in, in two thousand three, it was a you know it, it's, it was viewed slightly differently. I think it's definitely a thing to be spoken about because there is only one scene in the entire film which stops it from failing the Bechdel test. So it is it's on edge. So Carol Ann says, where are you staying? He says, I don't know. Well, sorry, he says, I don't actually know. I'll just check into a motel like in the movies. <laughs> Stacey, that is so cute. No, no, listen. <laughs> this Jeannie says this. Uh, this may be a little pushy because we've just met you, but won't you come back and sleep at our place? Caroline and Stacey say, yeah. He says, well, if it's not too much of an inconvenience... Caroline says, hell no, but there's one problem. What? Well, we're not the richest. This is Jeannie now. We're not the richest of girls, you know. So we just have a little bed and no couch. So you'd have to share with all three of us. And Caroline, on this cold, cold night, it's going to be crowded and sweaty and stuff. And Stacy says, and we can't even afford pajamas. No. Uh, which means we'd be, we would be naked. And Colin says, no, no, I, I think it'd be fine. And the girls say, great. I, I, do, I love Colin's responses in this. I, I think... Colin, Colin's shock at how well um, his plan is going is possibly where a lot of the comedy lies in the sequence. Because he doesn't expect it to, to go yeah. as well as this. <laughs> uh. I'm trying to look at the, the extras to see. It's, I think it's possibly a lot more men than women in the background as well, which kind of possibly makes it all the more funny yeah because you can mostly only see men in the background in what is otherwise also a rather empty bar so the concept of these three girls just being there and straight to colin is uh it's funny um and then it's it's like we said it's that classic white guy kind of wish fulfillment you know we've all as as you said earlier uh james like we've all, all had that you know you talk to americans and they're like oh my god your accent you know and, <laughs> and they, that's just a, that is a, a standard thing um but then it's where you take oh. it to that next level no um, my, my my american friend's a dude oh, okay well i was yeah. thinking that you had that the very high-pitched voice what are you saying um uh. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it is interesting, but it's that taking it to that next level of like, okay, well, what about if you actually did go to America? And like we were saying earlier, I think it's it's a it, it is really Chris Marshall's just lovableness that means that this scene, you know, doesn't come across as like really awful. Um, but yeah, because you you kind of you're happy for him, and especially because everyone's been so rude to him all the way through, even his best mate, everyone just constantly calls him a loser. Yes. It's not going to work. Over and over again, he's just getting it. He's just got this blind ambition, like, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And so you're like, okay, you know, you you have that rooting for the underdog. It's very similar to the character of Nick that he plays in My Family, in the fact of everyone is always constantly being horrible to him, especially his dad in My Family. And he always seems completely oblivious and happy the whole time. Where part of us, just for Colin's complete 100% happiness constantly, wants to have that that colin has and i think that's why we have the connection is because he's just constantly so happy sure um yeah so it's it's hard to hate him and it's hard yeah. to kind of you know feel it's it's hard to you know you, you do end up rooting for him just because of the way he's been portrayed and just because of chris marshall's charisma i think so then carol ann says um the thing that's going to make it more crowded harriet you haven't met harriet so this is a thing that bothered me because they specifically made a comment uh, you can because you feel at this point like they they've got to be just leading him on because they make the comment about the about you'll have to share with the three of us and they acknowledge that there's a fourth one as if they forgot to mention her but then you would have said the four of us instead of the three of us surely yeah yeah unless she's it's... just like that one really forgetful friend in the group <laughs> yeah um so yeah, Colin says there's a fourth one she can't be the forgetful one because they describe her as the sexy one. So yeah, but maybe that's her like only attribute, and like they're all funny, and she's not. Maybe. Ah, eh, maybe. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's like there's a fourth one. Yeah, but don't worry, you're gonna like her because she is the sexy one. Really? Wow. And we've we got anything more to say about the bar before we cut to this other bit? <laughs> there's a t-shirt <laughs> hanging up. There you go. Knees on sun. Yes, there is. I want. I, I don't know whether I can enhance enough to see what the t-shirt is, but I want to. It is a very well. If it if it's a set, then it's a very well dressed set. The the key Otherwise, thing for me I about think... 
the key thing for me about the bar is this is the, one of the most egregious product placements in a movie yes. ever. This is basically, it's a Budweiser bar. As you walk in, there's Budweiser everywhere. He says, Budweiser, king of beers. <laughs> like, oh. And he pisses like the world scene. Watch it back, and it it is almost as bad as the Wayne's World scene. Like when you look at it, every you only see the Budweiser tap. There's Budweiser pendants on the wall. Everything in the scene is basically Budweiser. Uh, it's crazy. Luke, I know what the t-shirt is. It's a Rockhounds, which is some kind of sports team. I just went back a little bit and saw like a sign with um, a similar logo. Uh, it's a shame it wasn't a Budweiser t-shirt, really. Yeah, mm. yeah. Do you think if we call this episode Budweiser, actually, we can get sponsors? Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> but I kind of, I doubt they'll they'll sponsor a show where the two hosts are too young to drink. So, yeah, so um, once we move past the Budweiser scene, uh, which I will now <laughs> always refer to this as, um, <laughs> we, we, see, we see their house, which was filmed at a back lot in Shepparton. Uh, where Harriet, the sexy one, is played by Shannon Elizabeth um, from American Pie and Scary Movie, as we've said. Um, and I was reading an article about this film and about how Emma Freud, Richard Curtis's um, long-term girlfriend, there was an article that said about how Emma Freud hated this. And I was like, I want to double-check this before I read it out. So I got in touch with Emma. And she said, loved the scene, but didn't like the way Richard shot that scene. The wide shots of the house with silhouettes, sick emoji. <laughs> so, <laughs> she's not a fan. Wait, oh, it was a silhouette? Yeah, because you see them through the curtains, don't you? You can just see their shadows through the curtains. Oh, I thought you meant like the house was like a cardboard cutout, like a kind of just like a big wooden cardboard, like a wooden cutout of a house. I was so confused. <laughs> Yeah, but once again, you kind of see there that it's it's a considering their comment about not being the richest of girls, it is a fairly nice house. Yeah. Smallish, but it's yeah. I was thinking that because like I was well just kind of expecting a small flat. Yeah. yeah, we really we really want extra of all the lights. I mean, we don't we don't do that much with our lights. No, if there's like one person on every street who does that, and yeah, well, this was to it me a, a competition a the way it's making it seem like America, because although it's not in America, um, actually most British people don't do up their houses like that. So yeah, it, it is sort of, it is kind of uh, making it feel like America by the fact that it is a well, well uh, Christmas lighted up house. Um, They've not I really... quite gone as far as Christmas vacation. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it would have been, you had a couple of interesting choices here, whether we just show them from the outside or like you know, we don't go in and see what actually happens inside. You know, it's quite a bit of a, you know, behind closed doors sort of thing that we just get like the the hint of what's happened there. And and other than seeing him come, this film has not been shy with sex and nudity. Yeah, so it's interesting. It, it would have, you know, they could have had him kind of stumbling and getting his jumper caught, taking it off his head, and you know, you could have seen him kind of making a complete mess of it which would have been an interesting way to go but they don't they just leave it like you know he's he's conquered you know he's he's conquered the mountain um so it was an interesting choice i quite like it i think the silhouette um apart like it, the, the falling back on the bed's a bit clichéd but it kind of makes me smile it's just it's it it's kind of permission to not take the film seriously <laughs> mm-hmm. which admittedly uh... it's a bit late into the film for that but um <laughs> Yeah, I, I, there are problems with this whole storyline as as discussed. I acknowledging those problems definitely still like it more than I thought I would. I think this story is stronger than Sarah and Carl's story, which I have gone on record for really not liking. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sorry, but you've mentioned this like every episode for the past how many episodes? Since we did Sarah and Carl's story, I think. Yeah, pretty uh, much. It's it's like the. Is that the dude of the signs at the door? Um, no, that no, okay. is Mark and Juliet. I quite like their story, despite him being a creep. Uh, Sarah <laughs> and Carl, their story on the surface seems quite sweet, but then you realise you know literally nothing about either of them. Well, you know a little bit about Sarah, but you could say there's yeah. nothing about Carl that it kind of disappoints me. However refreshing it is to have a male character Sounds who's like underwritten. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, I. I'm surprised as to how I how I enjoyed this 
this sequence. It's stupid. It's out of place. It would have been weirder, I think, if we had seen him with the uh, girls. And I, I think I've said this a few times. I wish that there had been a bit better bit of payoff at the end, where rather than here, rather than the scene with Shannon Elizabeth at the airport at the end of the film, that instead um, he'd like Tony asked him how his time was in America, and he was like, "Yeah, it was all right." Like if, mm-hmm. if 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 he just kind of I, I feel like that would have been a sort of funnier bit of payoff with how much he built up to it if he just doesn't mention what happened. Yeah, he, he does. It, it just all works out for him, doesn't it? That's it. There's no. Yeah. There's no. Um, there's no little twist. There's no. There's nothing weird about it. It's just one of these little stories that just, you know. I think that is the doing... twister, isn't it? The twist is that it does work out for him. Yeah, when we're expecting yeah. it not to. Sure. Yeah. I think I think that's possibly what's intended. It's only like upon rewatch that once that twist is gone, the ending feels a little bit abrupt. That you you feel like you need another twist yeah. <laughs> or another little gag or something. Um, but no, I've I enjoyed this more than Sarah and Carl's story and some of the other stories. I'm I'm looking forward to next episode when we tackle uh, one of my favourite stories in the film, being uh, Karen and Harry. Um, just a, the point, a couple of points about the music. Um, Smooth by Santana, featuring Rob Thomas, and then The Calling, Wherever You May Go. I mean, Smooth, I suppose it's like a, a nod to the fact that, like, you know, Colin's trying to come in here and be smooth. He really isn't smooth, but, you know, he's he's trying to be smooth. Yeah. But, you know, that, that song was absolutely massive at the time. Santana, having been a success in the 70s, then sort of went away and then had this massive comeback with this sort of album he did where he did a bunch of collaborations. Um, and Rob Thomas was lead singer of a band called Matchbox 20 that were like that were pretty massive at the time. So this was like a okay. huge tune. This was like the biggest tune of the year. Um, so it's interesting that you literally get like this little snatch of it in the background. You can't even really hear it unless you're like Lara and you've got attuned music student ears. Um, <laughs> and then and uh, and then we get the, the Wherever You May Go, the calling song, which once again was like another absolutely massive song at the time. Just one of these big, cheesy kind of American, um, you know, alt rock, but very AOR um, sort of ballads that were just massive, like Goo Goo Dolls Iris or like, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, you know, it's just one of these huge, great big American tunes that, that you know, I don't like at all. And I don't really like the use of it in the the um, in here. I mean, I suppose it's like, I'll go wherever you will go. But it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't really work in the scene. But I think it was just a case of, right, well, you know, we've got this song. We've got the rights to this song. We can get it on the soundtrack and sell, sell some soundtrack CDs, which was a big thing. In 2003, people used to buy CDs. Yeah, it, 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 I, I still love physical media, but it annoys me how things don't get physical media releases now. Um, but yeah, sound, soundtracks and yeah, it's, I, I do, I did touch on it briefly. I do like how we slide from the diegetic in the background of the bar to playing it non-diegetically over this, this shot. It's a nice smooth transition, which I've, I've always found very fun and very, very cleverly done every time I've seen it done in a film. I don't think I've ever seen a transition like that done badly. It kind of seems to always work for me at least. Yeah, song's crap though. So yeah, have we got any final comments on the whole sequence before we move over to like social media plugs and all? It's a very American house, there you go. And that's my last comment. It's a very American house in a back lot in Shepparton. <laughs> yeah. That's just kind of how I picture American houses. Yeah. yeah Once like again, I guess I guess it is kind of disappointing that like we don't have any Americans on to prove us wrong this yeah. week. Uh, we'll have to. You mean we can say what we want about Americans and that it can't be disputed? Uh, mm, Americans. Uh. But yeah, so I'll go to you, James C. First, uh, where can our listeners hear from you? Find you on social media, all of that jazz. Yeah, so the main thing is the um, Oasis stuff. So if you're into the band Oasis and all like the relative, relevant stuff from that, um, then yeah, at Oasis Podcast uh, or at Oasis Pod on Instagram is the place to be for that. Um, Trainspotting Minute is getting started. It's uh, at Choose Life Pod um, across uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So get on to that. And if you're interested in uh, in the band, uh, in the band. 
music podcast uh if you're interested in the film train spotting and especially um yeah if anyone listening to this has got connections to the film train spotting that's that's really interesting like we said at the start it's going to be good to get hold of that but um no thank you for having me on it's been good fun and uh yeah it's uh certainly an interesting scene that's for sure so james l is there any yes. way you want the listeners to find you on social media um yeah instagram i guess uh instagram james underscore j underscore l uh Spotify. I might try and do some stuff with Spotify soon. Maybe podcast. Maybe cover album until I learn how to actually write music. Um, so my Spotify should be James Lyon. I'll check that just now. Uh, but my uh, my YouTube as well. I'd like to try and do a bit of YouTube. Maybe some kind of film analysis, meetings I took from films, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so my uh, my uh, my uh, YouTube should be um, should be uh, sorry. Blank and hit James underscore JL. Uh, so go subscribe to that if you're interested in anything like Tarantino or Wes Anderson or uh, gosh, what's his name? Bad, uh, I've lost it. I blanked. Blank again. Uh, hold on. Uh, Matthew Vaughan, Guy Ritchie, any of that stuff, you know, go check me out. Uh, yeah, my Spotify is James Lyon. There's a few playlists if that interests anyone. I will try and get some cover albums out soon. There you go. Okay, as usual, you can find me on Instagram, Lara Collier underscore official. You can find me on Facebook, I have a page, Lara Collier Music. Um, you can all, and, oh god, I'm lost, I'm so sleepy. Um, oh, where else can you find me? I'm so dead. Oh yeah, you, yep, you can find me on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, all that stuff, and you can listen to the song Moving On. Um, you can also find me on YouTube. I have two music videos on Luke's channel, Bottle It Productions, um, moving on the music video, and then another one called The Happy Song. Then I also have my own um, YouTube channel, it's just Lara Collier, and I have two videos on there um, where I have an original song called A Thousand, and then I did a cover of Burn from Hamilton. Okay, brilliant. The listeners can find me on Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero. Very old account. Uh, on Instagram, The Ginger Luke. On Facebook at Luke Allen Film. All podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I'm remotely involved in is over at LukeAllen.co.uk. This show is on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Christmas Act Pod. And they can also find us on IMDb. Yeah, thanks so much to both of you for joining us. The listeners will hear from me and Lara and two more guests uh, once again on Wednesday, the 23rd of December, when Karen and Harry open presents and she discovers the Joni Mitchell CD. So it's getting awfully close to Christmas. So hopefully you're all feeling Christmassy and ready. Thanks so much for listening and goodbye. Christmas Actually theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Christmas Actually is produced by Bottolo Productions and is distributed by Lemming Drops Studio. For more podcasts and blogs, visit lemmingdrops.com.